Well, you've just heard John's version of that Easter morning in the garden that Bobby read for us so eloquently this morning. The lectionary, if you follow it, uh, also gives us Mark's version of that same glorious event. It's a little bit shorter, but it has some interesting perspectives. It reads like this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could embalm him. Very early on Sunday morning as the sun rose, they went to the tomb. They worried out loud to each other, who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us? Then they looked up saw that it had been rolled back. It was a huge stone, and they walked right in. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed all in white. They were completely taken aback, astonished. He said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He's been raised up. He's no longer here. You can see for yourselves that the place is empty. Now on your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there exactly as he said. They got out as fast as they could beside themselves, their heads swimming, stunned. They said nothing to anyone. Now in the earliest manuscripts, of Mark's gospel that have been found. This is where Mark's gospel ends, right here at verse 8. And some translations of verse 8 are even more abrupt and disturbing to us, like the Re New Revised Standard Version, which reads as follows. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Terror, amazement, which might best be translated as overwhelming bewilderment or confusion. Terror, amazement, and fear. Not the typical emotions that we associate with Easter morning, are they? After all, Easter in our culture is about brightly colored eggs and chocolate bunnies, soft yellow chicks and ducklings and pastel marshmallow peeps. I have it on good authority that it's not truly Easter without peeps. But terror, amazement, Fear. They don't fit into our Easter narrative at all. They're something akin to finding snakes and scorpions in the Easter basket. Nobody wants that, do we, kids? See, Mark's initial ending was so uncomfortable, even for Mark, that he or perhaps someone else were inspired to add to it later on so that later manuscripts included verses 9 through 20 in chapter 16, which is the chapter that we're centered on this morning, 
verses 9 through 20, which talk about Jesus's appearances to Mary Magdalene and then to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and then the commissioning of the disciples and the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God the Father, all great stuff and all true. But this morning, I want us to concentrate on Mark's original eight verses because I think you will find them revealing. See, in verse one of chapter 16, Mark tells us that Mary Magdalene, who was the woman out of whom Jesus cast the seven demons, Mary, the mother of James, who's sometimes referred to as the other Mary, and Salome, who was the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, she was Zeb's wife, not to be confused with a different Salome, who was the daughter of Herod II and Herodias. She was the one, if you remember your scripture, who demanded the head of John the Baptist be brought to her. These three women bought spices after the Sabbath, after the Sabbath had ended, and they went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. But there were wrinkles in their plan, however. Things that they hadn't quite thought through. And for example, how would they roll away the huge stones? Or for that matter, how would they convince the guards to let them even approach the tomb? How would they deal with the reality of, of decay and decomposition that would already be well underway in the hot climate after a day and a half? And for that matter, why would they even want to anoint the body again after Nicodemus, if we read scripture, had already wrapped the body in a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes before they sealed the tomb? See, clearly these women were not expecting a resurrection to have taken place, even though, even though Jesus had told them many times before that he would rise from the dead. Clearly, they were driven by a different set of expectations on this particular morning. They hadn't thought it through, but then... Love often causes irrational actions, does it not? Love often responds with little thought ahead of time. It tends to be spontaneous and illogical. It's driven more by passion and compassion than by conscious thought. And so, driven by love, they went to the tomb. And when they arrive, the scriptures say the stone is already rolled away. And when they look inside... They're not greeted by the body of Jesus. They're greeted by an angel dressed in white and they are afraid. But the angel says to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. In verses 4 through 7, Mark here tells us the good news of the resurrection. 
See, in Scripture, an angel in, in white is typically an angel who is there to reveal some divine truth. And the divine truth this particular angel reveals is that the tomb is empty. Jesus, the one you seek, he was here, he was dead, he was buried, but now he is risen. He is no longer here. So don't hang out here in the place where the dead belong. Go and tell Peter and the others that he is risen. And so we come to verse 8. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and confusion and bewilderment and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So here's the thing about ending it here at verse 8. See, if, if we add the verses 9 through 20 in chapter 16 of Mark's gospel, where all the appearances of Jesus are discussed, just as they are in the other gospel accounts, if we add those verses, we have a stronger case, don't we? We have testimony that supports the resurrection other than just the account of these three women driven by love who hadn't thought it through, their testimony, who, who they say they came on an empty tomb and they say there was an angel proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, today, if I had to present this as evidence in a courtroom, I would surely like to have those eyewitnesses' accounts, wouldn't I? But here's the thing about the resurrection. And don't get me wrong, I am here to tell you this morning that verses 9 through 20 of Mark and the other gospel accounts that talk about the appearances of Jesus after that Easter morning are in every way truth. They are accurate. They are the real deal. But the thing about the resurrection in Mark's original gospel account in these original eight verses in chapter 16, which was the original ending of Mark's gospel, the thing about the resurrection here is that it's not a question of evidence, even though there is plenty. It's not evidence, but rather it's a question of faith. It was a matter of faith then to those three women, and it is a matter of faith now to this congregation, in fact, to all of Christianity, in fact, to the world. Either you believe it as a Christian or you don't and you can't call yourself Christian at all because the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been about evidence. It has always been about faith. Now, why were the women in a state of terror and confusion and amazement and bewilderment and fear? Well, because, oh my God, suddenly it was all true to them. Suddenly the teacher was no longer just rabbi, but was God incarnate. Suddenly Jesus was everything that he said he was. And now, now it was their turn to respond appropriately 
to do as the angel had said and to go tell others that Jesus is risen, that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. And if you are Christian today, and I were to ask you, as I often do, to go out there and tell someone about the risen Savior, does it not strike some of us with some degree of terror, of anxiety, of fear? How will I be received by others? Will they think that I'm a nut? Will they think I'm some sort of Jesus freak? Will they brand me as intolerant of others, as judgmental, as holier than thou, as self-righteous? as any of those other things that society tries to project on those who dare to call themselves Christian. Uh, don't judge these three women too harshly for not telling anyone at first what they had just seen because proclaiming the gospel, even if you are sold out to it, even if you completely believe it, proclaiming the gospel is hard. But hear me now. This Easter morning, I'm here to tell you, it is not a time of terror or bewilderment or fear for us as Christ followers. For those of us who believe the resurrection is the power and the wisdom of God at work in this world, in a world that operates off the premise of prove it to me, in a world that says show me, in a world that says prove it, the resurrection is not about that. It's truly not about the evidence that Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and rose from the dead three days later. No, it is not. It's about the faith we have in him that he in fact accomplished those things. And that by believing on him, we get to share in that resurrection. We get to benefit from his work on the cross and in the grave so that through him, we need not fear death. We need only rejoice in the life, the life eternal that he gave to us. And the hope that we have in him that he will come again very soon and take us home with him. It's not about the evidence. It's about the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.